This morning we find ourselves again in the final hours of Jesus' life. Last week he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And in today's scripture, he's on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. We find the story in Mark 14, 53 through 65. Let me read the story for you. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave their false testimony against him. We, we heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Uh, Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Let's pray. Dear dear Father, we thank you so very much for your son and all that he has done for us. And I pray that he will be uplifted in this message today. And God, I pray even in a greater way that he'll be uplifted in our lives. And so be with us now. Open your word and your truth to us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There have been some surveys done in recent years that have some troubling trends among Americans and what they believe about Jesus. One survey found that 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. However, it also found that that percentage is decreasing with younger generations. More troubling, only 56% of adults believe that Jesus was God. And that number is only 48% among the millennial generation. Even more troubling, only 48% of Americans believe that Jesus was sinless. And only 44% in the millennial generation. And something I find even more troubling is that many people who claim to be Christians are included among those who don't believe Jesus to be God and don't believe that he lived a sinful life. And yet those truths, those two truths, are the basis for the gospel that God became flesh in Jesus and lived among us and that Jesus lived a perfect life so he could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
Just listen to these two verses, John 1.14, which speaks to the first truth. It says, the word, who is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The the second is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which speaks to the second truth. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, we have no foundation for our faith without these two truths. We have no saving message without these truths. That that God became flesh in Jesus and lived among us and that Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And what I want you to realize today is that Jesus is on trial in today's culture as much as he was on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Notice how our story begins, Mark 14, verses 53 and 54. They they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The words that stand out to me in those verses is the words there about Peter. When they took Jesus to the home of the high priest for the trial before the Sanhedrin, Peter followed him at a distance. Remember, Jesus had called his disciples, including us, to deny ourselves and to sacrifice ourselves and follow him. It certainly doesn't seem to me that at this point Peter was living out that kind of commitment to Jesus. He followed him from a distance and was not fully committed to him, even though even though he said that he would commit it, be committed to Jesus to the point of death. And we don't want to make that same mistake and not be fully committed to Jesus, and not being fully committed to our belief in Jesus. So as I studied this morning's scripture, I found a word of warning for us, whether we are believers or not. And that is there are two mistakes people are making about Jesus that we don't want to make. And they are the same two mistakes that the Sanhedrin made about Jesus. The first mistake is doubting the sinlessness of Jesus. As I said earlier, the the Apostle Paul taught that Jesus had never sinned. And that same claim is also made by the Apostles John and Peter as well. And here the Sanhedrin is met basically to prove that Jesus has committed something wrong, something wrong worthy of death. Look, Look at what they do. First, they found no factual evidence of his wrongdoing. Mark 14, 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they might put him to death, but they did not find any. These Jewish leaders had already decided that they wanted to kill Jesus, and so they were looking for something wrong that he has done, but but they could find nothing. 
What we have seen as we've traveled through Mark, many of these chief priests and teachers law have been checking in on Jesus. They've been checking in for three years on what he has been teaching and how he has been living. And they can't come up with one thing wrong that he has done. Imagine a courtroom where where the judge asks the prosecution what this criminal has done wrong. And all the prosecution can say, well, we don't know yet, but we're looking for something. I mean, this is pure foolishness. And we make a mistake to simply assume that because everyone else has sinned and done things wrong, that Jesus must have sinned and done some things wrong in his life. Especially if there is no factual evidence. Even from the religious leaders who checked him out thoroughly. Then then second, they offered false testimonies about his life. Mark 14, verse 56. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. These Jewish leaders could not come up with any factual evidence to convict Jesus, and so they went after false testimonies to condemn him. The problem was when these witnesses testified, their statements didn't agree. According to the Old Testament law, it was necessary to have at least two witnesses, especially in a murder case. And if those two witnesses differed in any way, their testimonies were thrown out. And here, the false testimonies were thrown out. I mean, this is like two kids who are trying to explain to their parents how a rock broke the the house front window. If the two stories don't agree, you know that someone is lying. And let me tell you, there is a lot of things said about Jesus today that is simply not true. I went looking on the internet for misconceptions about Jesus, and here's what a man named Bryce Teffler said most people get wrong about Jesus. The most common misconceptions about Jesus are that he existed as described had magical powers, was a God or or the Son of God, fulfilled prophecy and answered prayers, and then he concluded, none of the above is true. Now that really summarized what a lot of people mistakenly say about Jesus. To many, who he was isn't true, what he said isn't true, and what he did isn't true, and what he promised isn't true. But the truth is, what they say about Jesus isn't true. But those kinds of false misconceptions about Jesus are out there, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't fall for these false misconceptions. And then third, they mistakenly uh, didn't understand his teachings, Mark 14, verses 57 through 59. Then son stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple in three days and will build another. Let me say that again. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. 
Anyone who destroyed a temple in the ancient world was subject to capital punishment. And so Jesus is being accused here of planning to destroy the temple there in Jerusalem in hopes that that would be enough to condemn him. But Jesus had no plans to destroy the temple. These people simply did not understand something that Jesus taught earlier in John 2, verses 19 through 22. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it again in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. The Jews obviously didn't understand that Jesus was talking about his body and not the temple. As a matter of fact, the the disciples didn't understand it either. That is, not until his resurrection. But when the disciples finally understood it, it says they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus has spoken. Can I tell you something? There is much in the Bible that I don't fully understand. There are some teachings that simply seem unclear to me. But people, we must not let what we don't understand about the Scripture take away from what we do understand. And we must not let what we don't understand about Jesus take away from what we do understand about Him. There is simply enough taught in the Gospel that reveals the unstained character of his life. But these Jewish leaders weren't interested in seeing that. But hopefully we are. And then fourth and last, they never considered the perfection of his life. The Sanhedrin was out to prove that Jesus was guilty of something worthy of death, even if they had to lie to prove it. Look what happens next, Mark 14, verses 60 and 61. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Are you not going to answer? What what is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Jesus had stood there silent as one false accusation after another was made about him. But thus far, nothing was proven true. The Sanhedrin had no evidence against him, but the high priest thought that if he could get Jesus to speak, he could possibly possibly incriminate himself and reveal something wrong in his life. At this point, Jesus could have defended himself. At a normal trial, he would have called various witnesses to his deity and his power and his character. People who he had raised from the dead. People who he healed. The blind he had given sight to and the demon-possessed that he had cleansed. But this wasn't an ordinary trial. This was a sham trial out to have Jesus killed one way or another. And so Jesus remained silent. 
The witnesses that had appeared proved themselves to be false. And the Sanhedrin wasn't interested in knowing the truth. Certainly not the truth about Jesus and the quality of his life. Lee Strobel, an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, was upset that his wife had become a follower of Jesus. And so he set out to prove to his wife that Jesus wasn't worth following. He was convinced that Jesus was a fake. And yet as Jesus, and yet as Lee investigated the the reliability of Scripture and the person of Jesus, he himself also became a follower of Jesus. The evidence was just simply undisputable to him. Now, people, that would never happen if Lee Strobel hadn't done an investigation into Jesus. Of course, the Sanhedrin wasn't interested in doing such an investigation. They made a mistake of doubting Jesus' sinless life. And that is a mistake that we don't want to make, that none of us should want to make. If you doubt Jesus' sinlessness... Please do an investigation of Jesus. And the second mistake that people make and the Sanhedrin made is rejecting the divinity of Jesus. In Mark 14, verses 61 and 62, the high priest asked a second question. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest wanted to know if Jesus thought that he was the Christ, the promised Messiah, and if he thought he was the Son of God. Jesus chose to answer this question. He looked at the high priest and answered, I am, to both questions. In other words, I am, those words were declaring, Jesus was declaring himself to be God. And he basically told the high priest and the Sanhedrin that his death would not be the end of the story. He was going to be exalted to the throne of God, and one day he would return in the clouds to judge and reign over all the earth. Jesus may have in the past somewhat hidden his divine identity, but he declares it openly to the Sanhedrin and to us. He was the Messiah, and he was and is the Son of the living God. And notice the Sanhedrin's response. First, they simply assumed his guilt of blasphemy. Mark 14, 63 and 64 the high priest tore his clothes. Why, why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. The, the high priest was so angry and upset with what Jesus had said that he tore his clothes. In his thinking, Jesus had committed blasphemy. He had claimed to be divine. He had claimed to be the Son of God. And the punishment was for such blasphemy. In that day was death. And so they all agreed that Jesus should be condemned and killed. And they would have been right in making that kind of judgment 
That is, if anyone else had claimed to be divine. But this isn't anyone else. This is Jesus who has shown himself to be divine. In John's gospel, he had said that he and the Father were one. He he said that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then he demonstrated his divinity in what he did, as we've seen in the gospel of Mark. Doing things that only God can do, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, feeding multitudes with only a few fish and a few loaves, walking on water, calming the seas, even raising the dead. There are many in the Sanhedrin that knew about all these miracles. Some of them had seen some of them. But none of them, but none of that was taken into consideration. They wanted Jesus dead, and they were going to use the false charge of blasphemy to get it done. See, second, they never evaluated his claim of divinity. Notice what they did in the last verse of today's story. Mark 14, 65. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. I mean, these are the religious leaders of Israel. They they are spitting on Jesus, striking him, mocking him, and beating him. The law required judges in that day to be humane and kind to the condemned. But there was no compassion or kindness for Jesus. And this is the Supreme Court of Israel. And never once did they ever evaluate Jesus' claim of divinity and whether it might be true. I find it interesting that the prophecies, that prophecies of the Messiah were being fulfilled that day and they didn't even realize it. Isaiah 50 verse number 6 predicted what the Sanhedrin had done. I offered my back to those who beat me. I did not hide my face from mocking, spitting. Isaiah 53 verses 6 and 7 had prophesied Jesus' silence. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. These religious men knew the scriptures and they knew the prophecies of the Messiah, but they never checked on whether Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies. Being born in Bethlehem, being born of a virgin, being a descendant of David, being preceded by a prophet like Elijah, speaking in parables, entering Jerusalem on a donkey colt, being betrayed, being hated without cause. All of that was predicted in the Old Testament and all of that was being fulfilled in Jesus. And yet the men in the Sanhedrin never considered any of that in their decision. And we make the same mistake if we never evaluate Jesus' claim of divinity. 
in making such a claim, there's really only three possibilities. Either Jesus is a liar or a lunatic or he is Lord. And we as a church believe that he is Lord. We believe what the Sanhedrin did not believe and what many people don't believe today. That God became flesh in Jesus and lived among us. And that Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice after living a perfect life. And yet it really comes down to the question, what do you believe about Jesus? That's really really what matters. And it matters when it comes to our eternity. Let me share some practical applications, some things I think we need to do as a result of this morning's message. Number one, be sure that you be, be sure what you believe about Jesus and his life. What you believe about him will affect your eternity. Number two, if you have doubts about the sinlessness of Jesus or his divinity, do an investigation into him and his life. Be, be the least Strobel and investigate what the Bible teaches about Jesus and whether he lives up to his claims. And then last of all, my encouragement to you is to believe in Jesus as the sinless son of God who was sacrificed for your sins. For see, there is no other way, there is no other way to be saved. Let's pray. Dear Father, again, we thank you for this scripture. And more importantly, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for this sham trial that was made against him. And the lessons that we can learn from it. And God, I pray that you will be at work in each person's life that's listening. God, we thank you so very much for your love. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you so very much for listening today. And if there's some way that we can minister to you, uh, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You can call us on our church phone which is 217-379-4443, or you can contact us through through our website, uh, paxtonchurchofchrist.org. There's a contact page there. We pray God's blessing upon you in the week ahead, and we look forward to sharing with you again next Sunday.